Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Bench Units podcast. Uh, I'm James McSorley and as always, I'm here with Mark. How's it going, Mark? Yeah, it's going good, man. How are you? Yeah, can't complain. Can't complain. Awesome. So I can't see your camera because we're having to optimize our video calling process while you're in the Premier Inn. I'm hoping you've got the guest that we arranged with you because otherwise this intro is going to be all for nothing and we're just going to have to plod on awkwardly from there. <laughs> but assuming you've followed through, we are excited to be joined by the all-time leader in a bench unit's exclusive advanced stat, which is known as PPF, which is short for points per finger. He is nowhere near the all-time leader in our other exclusive advanced stat of AS5PF, which stands for all-star fives per finger. And he is, nickname in progress, the people's unanimous all-star five selection and MVP of most things that happened this past season. <laughs> Kyle Marsh, how's it going, man? I'm really good. Thank you, Mark. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Thank you for joining us. And theme alert here, we will be referencing your lack of all-star five and MVP hardware a lot because it's been a source of great travesty as far as we're concerned. So my condolences, but nevertheless, <laughs> if you want to get your get your beef out on this podcast, feel free. We will not stop you. I'm going to start off nice and easy, but the more we get into it, the more we might have to start going a bit deeper. Okay, you guys don't have drinks in your room, do you? No, I was saying he's, the, he's like he couldn't be the first non-Australian person to drink on this podcast. <laughs> but no, I told him that. We were going to mention this because every time there's an All-Star 5 announced, we're like, congratulations to everyone involved. The taking part is the real All-Star 5. But we this happened and we were like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Just swinging. But yeah, so before we get started on the actual basketball stuff, Kyle, uh, I have a link where I ask people to try and name Mark's future first child. So do you have any good name suggestions? For Mark? Not for Mark. For, uh, we've plenty of things we could call Mark, but yeah, Mark's <laughs> going to be a dad for the first time soon, so yes. we need names. It's going to be something quite traditional, I think, for Mark. Yeah. It's going to be, it can't be too much out of the box. What's your middle name, Mark? Peter, which is my dad's name. Spoiler, my mum and dad were thoroughly uninventive in naming us because we're John, Mark and Ben, so I was hoping to buck that tradition a little bit. So, so John's out the wind that's where I was going how did you yeah. know I was going with John one syllable names in the bible that's kind of <laughs> yeah that's my thing sensible names someone you could think about doing a, an office job <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't hear a David in that list oh there you go good David what about a good David yeah. David okay. Ferguson what about a boy <laughs> <laughs> the amount of times we ask people and they actually really try is quite nice like we asked Brian Bell this and I reference it every time because he was like god right <laughs> so what do we think like Seven minutes of effort. I was like, come on, man. As if it's... It, well, I guess it is legally binding because I think we have promised on this podcast that whichever one goes down best with Gabby is going to be the actual name. So we'll keep fingers crossed for David. Fingers crossed was an insensitive joke. My apologies, Kyle. <laughs> oh, zing. Oh, it's uh, just too easy for you, man. Oh, here we go. He's got these all written down in the back of his hand. Yeah. But yeah, to get Mark away from making ableist jokes, we'll ask. <laughs> question we ask everyone at the start how'd you get started playing basketball well i was at a very young age to be honest i was 11 when i first experienced my first session but uh, i was swimming beforehand um and coincidentally my swimming coach was alan Karen. oh wow who also 
um, was the coach of Wolverhampton Rhinos at that time. So um, he just asked me one day if I'd like to go along and join in. And eventually I did. And that was the last time I swam. <laughs> Why? Did you, did you have to swim to training? And you were like, well, that's put me off for the rest of my life. Yeah, it was a couple of miles too far. Canals <laughs> of the black country. <laughs> but yeah, then just I found swimming very boring. It was very, a lot of time just going up and down, spent by yourself. Where I found basketball more entertaining being around a group uh at that point i couldn't even reach the rim so i just enjoyed the challenge at that point of being able to touch the rim you haven't touched it since since you learned how to shoot but <laughs> subtle difference in not being able to touch the rim which is most people's like problem when they first start and kyle swishing his very first shot and being like i can't even hit the rim what's going on here <laughs> god i oh. wish that was true yeah so, as you know, Kyle, you're joining us because you recently announced you're going to be, or you have left Amir Albacete, where you've been for approximately the last 500 years. Eight? Eight years. 508 years. Um, we just wanted to get you in, and if anyone wants to just listen to this bit and then clock out of the episode, they are free to do so, but I hope they stick around because we've got a bunch more stuff to ask you about. Before we crack on, do you want to tell us where you're going to be playing next season? Yeah, that's... No, but I think, to be honest, it's pretty public knowledge around Europe. But we, well, me and my partner will be going to Malaga. So uh... it's quite a big, big, big change for us. Like, leaving Amiab was a, a very big decision. We've both been there for a very long time, but it's... Other things in life play a factor. Our little boy starting in school, so we wanted to settle down in Malaga and enjoy the next part. Sure. Okay, people who are listening, just to get that sound bite, you can jump off at this point. But <laughs> if so, this is a question sent in from uh, Fintana, who said, "I think you maybe answered the question here, but he said, is it just a coincidence that you're moving on after winning Champions Cup, or?" Was this you leaving Amiab on a high? Yeah, I wish it was like a dry, dry, drop the mic moment. Like, <laughs> that's it, I'm out. That's it, no more. Leave it. But no, this decision was made quite a while ago. So it is definitely just a coincidence that it's off champions. I can't think of a better way to end that chapter. I was just going to say, does it make it like easier to leave that you've just kind of closed the book a bit with as much success as possible? Yeah. Yeah, 100%, because when you're playing, there's a lot of what-if moments. There's always a lot of, oh, I wish I, I wish that happened. I wish we could do that. So to finally, after I think four years, we attempted the Champions Cup to, to get that and to be able to walk away and not have to go through that stress again. Well, maybe in the short term, we'll see what happens with Malaga, but it's, it is quite nice to leave on that, 100%. Yeah, and obviously, especially after having done like the the usual like start at the bottom and getting points and picking up and like having to like start at a club and kind of start from the bottom. It literally was. We uh, eight years ago when we arrived there and we literally had to start the world. We had zero points and some of the places we had to go and play. It wasn't wasn't the most attractive. <laughs> your guys, your guys first Euro Cup was in Bosnia, wasn't it? Do I remember that right? It wasn't Bosnia, yeah. <laughs> 
And um, I think twice, for some, some weird reason, we got a really unlucky year of IWF rules and with Euro Cup points and whatnot. And we had to play Euro League 3 twice and win it twice before we could even attempt Euro League 2 or 1. It was quite a weird way. We had to play that, then we managed to skip straight to Euro League 1, which is, it was kind of weird. That's strange. It must have been under the IWBF. Uh, no one knows how the points work exception. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> the frustrating part of that was Bill Bow came in the following year for their first time and they got double points because they were a new team. So they, 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 lad. They, they leapfrogged us. So. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, we we went through the same thing with uh, when we had Leon because obviously you guys your whole I mean our tenure has been together but it was like it was so bizarre that there was obviously this brewing superpower in in Albacete and it was like I, IWF like hang on it doesn't set a good example if teams start in Euro League three and just progress all the way through immediately oh Bill Bauer doing it yeah I guess this is just the pattern now but, <laughs> yeah almost oh, like child trial and error thing yeah i i would like to just loop us back very quickly when you said that leaving the champions cup was sorry winning the champions cup was the ideal note to go out on with ami i, I cannot believe james's self-restraint when he wasn't then like oh well you could have won the copa del rey ah it's all right we did like we we didn't beat you on the way there so we don't get to say anything <laughs> I, have plenty of, I have plenty of jokes for three other teams but <laughs> <laughs> we'll get those in next Shall we circle back to the the old days before we go through Kyle's club career in excruciating detail? Sure. So, Mark, you've written down here, Wolverhampton Rhinos days and coming up through the British League when it was still good. <laughs> I'm taking people behind the curtain on what our Google Docs say, but... I stand by it. When it was still good. So, yeah, you mentioned, Kyle, you... Um, Alan Karen was the guy who got you into basketball. For anyone who doesn't know him, he seems to monopolize disability sport in the kind of West Midlands area and be puppeteering everything behind the scenes. I don't know if he still is or not, but he kind of ran Wolverhampton Rhinos. You made your way up through them. I don't remember any Wolverhampton Rhinos team from when I was kind of coming up that didn't feature you. Um, and you were kind of on maybe the last great team that ran in the British League for any consistent number of years. Uh, like I said, back when the league was strong and it was still loaded up with a bunch of the GB guys before everyone headed abroad. So what do you, what's kind of your memories of, you know, coming up and playing a decent chunk of your career in a British team that mattered, which is an experience that not many of the young guys coming up will have these days? No, like, like you touch on that with Alan Carroll. I got super lucky that Rhinos, they had an aspiration to become one of the better teams within um, the UK. So like, I got incredibly lucky that the place that I began at, and we, when I arrived, I think it was Division 4, Division 3, and just coincidentally, the growth of the team happened at the same time as I was well, coming a teenager, really. And... Um, yeah, as the team then grows, you start to then move up the divisions and then you start to be able to speak to people who live outside of the West Midlands and maybe interested to travel in and come with us. And we got lucky as well, just on that, that players were interested to come. They they enjoyed um, or from the outside saw what the team was going 
them to be and wanted to be and wanted to be part of that journey too. And um, that was just purely just absolute luck. And then, like you say, there was a couple of years where a lot of GB players um, had to come back to England to to play. And it was this time where not many GB players left. So it was nice to be able to get in the same room as them guys and sure. know what, okay, sure. that's the level that I need to get to. And it's difficult. It was very difficult at the beginning because a lot of GB guys were very well established. They were big name superstars in the sport. Again, GB is just incredibly lucky of the athletes that have come through. Yeah. Talking about the athletes that were coming through when you were on your way up, did you like who who would have influenced you in your early days? Like, and specifically, it was it difficult to find people to sort of be influenced by and follow as a a two with full core and an upper limb impairment? Like, is that a you know, like a lot of ones pick a one and go, oh, yeah. I want to be like Abdi or I want to, who were your sort of influences and was it weird to come up and not play, play, play around players that play like you? Yeah, that was really strange and really difficult. And I didn't really have anyone, to be absolutely honest. I kind of just had to look at it. people from different point categories and just take little bits. From, like, I was heavily around Sinclair Thomas. Mm-hmm. He became my coach at quite a young age he was a three pointer but he played a very similar game to what i play now but then even looking up to you know you got terry who obviously a lot of people in the world looked up to mm-hmm. but then it even goes to the other end of the scale where you've got someone like a matt burn where speaking to matt was so beneficial yeah. just because he he knew the game so well in his head even though as a lower pointer it's quite difficult to necessarily physically do everything but he taught me a lot about details that high pointers probably don't even consider sure shout out to matt burn he doesn't i don't think matt's ever had a mention on this podcast and that makes me feel like we're not doing our job properly yeah that's three people on this call who are matt burn fans yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah i think it, it's interesting because i would have Maybe this is me being overly simplistic here, but James mentioned like Lowe's following Abdi. To me, there's a lot of Abdi in your game, Kyle, in that it's the entire thing's built around, you know, the threat of the outside shot and less so maybe about the secondary actions of the offense. Whereas I think it's maybe different for Abdi because obviously Lowe's are at a disadvantage, but I've always seen you guys as, you know, get them the ball and regardless of the pressure they'll get a shot up and get a shot away cleanly so i don't know if that was an early rhinos influence i can't remember how long abdi will have been at rhinos you know overlapping with you because i think he maybe joined a bit after you did but do you think you took something from him or do you think your shooting game just kind of was what came most naturally to you no there definitely was because abdi abdi's an absolute master of um, being hidden he you just watch him and he just goes around the court slowly moving into spaces where he knows that if he receives the ball he's going to be able to get the shot off like you say with pressure becoming late because he's positioned himself in the right spot to be able even he's not very tall he doesn't shoot really high but he's able to release it and it's definitely something you sit back and you can 
look at and appreciate and learn a lot from 100%. Sure. Yeah, Abdi's like in the pocket as much as that's not a wheelchair basketball thing or a basketball thing. He's just like, you'd think you wouldn't lose someone that doesn't move that fast as easily as you do, but you're like, you turn your head and you're like, oh, no, he's baseline now. Oh, God. Yeah. But yeah. And I, I do remember asking him the question, like, how do you do it? How do you go up and down, maybe not touching the ball three or four times, and then suddenly you're just ready? You're there ready to shoot. That's something I really struggled with was feeling like I'm not in the game. Oh, there's the ball. Oh, I need to shoot it. So he was, uh, the ability to just go up and down three, four times without touching the ball, it, it, it's really good. It, it's special. Yeah, definitely. And to loop back to the what we kind of said about you having the chance to develop on that Rhinos team in your early years, do you think that the younger guys who are kind of coming through now, there's not a lot in the British League for them in terms of strong competition, be it internal to their teams or you know, in the games they're going to be going out and playing. Do you, you know, do you think those guys are missing out on a stage of development that you wish was was still around for kind of the people at home? Or do you think, do you look at those guys now and be like, I wish I just got myself abroad as early as I possibly could have? Uh, no, I think I, I was 22 the first time that I went abroad. I think it was the right time. I mean, anything a bit earlier, I think, I don't know, everyone is obviously different but it's a big jump it's it's a really big jump to go and to live in a different country and I live with my mum the whole time up until I was 22 and left sure so like there's a there's a situation right now in the UK where people are leaving very early and it's maybe not the best but it I absolutely understand why they want to because I know right now like there's within the league, there are like 17, 18 new holds who are not being challenged within the UK. So they're thinking, oh, what, what can I do? Like, how do I get better? And unfortunately, right now, I understand that the answer is to go abroad, but there's not 100% success stories on that. And it is a shame. I think within the UK, there has to be some middle step, whether that's whether in GB, we open the doors to younger guys to come in to help out because it, I would like a world where we all come back and we can be like it used to be And but right now it, we can't be back we need to be away just because of what Europe can offer us the team the level that Europe is now it sure. just makes sure. the most logical sense that we have to be back and we have, sorry, we have to be away playing them games so we can be the best prepared when it comes to GB tournaments yeah I think what you said there about there being no middle ground is the thing like there was kind of a standard where you'd go and you'd be doing the GB under 22 stuff and at the same time you'd be playing league games and you'd like move up in stature and it used to be like you'd wait till you were absolutely way too good for the GB to the GB league stuff and then you'd have to go abroad to get challenged I think people are kind of as you say it looks a bit glamorous and it probably looks more glamorous than it is but also there's people who need a paycheck and stuff as soon as they leave school at 16 or 18 or whatever. And, you know, you can't really knock anyone for trying to make a few quid, but I think you're right. Like people kind of miss out on the, on that stuff. Cause there's a lot of skill development that you get from clubs that are doing that continuously instead of going to a, like you go abroad and it's like, right. You're looking at Saturday. You're not looking at three years down the road. You're looking at, we play Malaga on Saturday. What do we need to do to win? And it's not about 
putting the ball in your left hand when you go a certain way. Like, it's not about that stuff. But yeah. Europe is very much driven on. It's not about player improvement. It's just about finishing the best league position you can. And the UK is in a much better situation. It's a much more focused on development. But the there's only so much you can get through a coach and training. So it 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 is really hard. And I understand why the situation the situation is where it is. Yeah. With young players. It, it, I just wish they could hold on a little bit longer. I wish the UK was in we could offer a little bit more. Yeah. So for people who are going abroad and they've made the decision because they don't think there's anything left for them, do you have any any bits of advice as someone who's done it and did it quite young and whatever? <laughs> it's just don't trust everything on face value. Like, ask a lot of questions. Check that if whatever you get promised, speak to players that have been there previously or if that's possible to you. Or just to double check because you can be sold a dream and it doesn't necessarily happen. I know some people have been told, yeah, don't worry, you'll get your own apartment, whatever. You arrive, that isn't the case. And then you're, what do you do? You're there. So you're kind of forced in a way to, okay, I'll accept sharing, but it wasn't what you agreed. So you, there's some clubs that will try and be a little bit cheeky and just, so it's okay to get your contracts checked. Like sometimes you, the contracts maybe not worth the paper they're written on, but just do your research, speak to as many people as you can and you, you should end up okay. Cool. On that note, shall we talk about your first experience? As you mentioned, you were 22. You left the UK and you headed to San Stefano in Italy. Uh, you were there for two years. Why was San Stefano the spot to begin your abroad career? Um, again, San Stefano has a really good history of GB players going across. And a lot of international players, American, Australian, German, have gone to Santa Stefano as their first time, their first experience. And it's be very much regarded as a very good stepping stone club. And that's not a disrespect to them in the slightest because now they're a really successful team in Italy. So like on that basis, like I had was able to speak to people who had been there and had, um, had the San Stefano experience and they give you confidence that it's a good club to go to. They'll look after you and do the right things. And also at that time, Simon Brown was already part of the club. Um, John Hall and Lee Manning, we all, all three of us, we went there as kind of our first time abroad all together. So it was quite nice for us we had each other to support and we, we drove all over there together. Like we, any troubles or anything like that, or we, we had each other for support and San Stefano was a, was probably the perfect club to choose at that time. Maybe a little bit of that is just luck. Sure. Yeah, there is a bit of luck that comes into that stuff. Our next question was going to a team with a load of GB guys and that easing the transition, but you've, You've, you've just done our jobs there. We, we've covered that. But, yeah. I think we'll um, we'll point out at this point the ongoing theme of everywhere you go, you and Lee stick together. So you you guys are like each other's security blanket in this sense. He's three um, feet behind us as we speak. So. 
He said, don't even leave him alone for a podcast. <laughs> it's funny, actually, when we when I was writing up this, um, the notes to go through the episode, I was going to insert a joke here about did Lee give you clearance to go and talk to us without him? And now he literally is in the room with you guys. He's <laughs> <laughs> just a bodyguard. <laughs> um, I say just a bodyguard, for the greatest center in the world, but, you know, like oh, just that, a bodyguard. That too. Um, oh. I usually would quibble with you on the greatest center in the world, but seeing as he's actually definitely listening to this episode, I won't do. Um, yeah, I mean, the San Stefano thing, it was you guys dropped in there, as you say, and Simon was already there. You and Lee and John would make any team pretty competitive with your arrival. Uh, you also had Dion Gim and Dimitri Tange, who was there, who's still there a thousand years later. But you guys dropped into the Italian league in probably the peak of its powers, I think. Um, you know, mid Cantu Santa Lucia rivalry. Simon Munn was still at Post Torres, dropping 100 points a game and all that stuff. So you dropped into what was maybe the strongest league in the world at the time, and it was as strong as it had ever been. So, what was the kind of initial brace for impact like in your first pro experience? To be completely honest, that I remember that back to the first year, I found it really tough. I really did. Like we had a tough team, um, so I had more of a bench role, and but it was difficult. I I was shocked because the physicality when you go and play against them guys. I remember we'd play against Brad Ness. Um, Shout out Brad Ness, friend of the show. Um, oh, I can't even remember some, but like Pellegrini, Matteo Cavagnini. Oh, yeah, like, back in the days when the Italians, oh, they still have a lot of force. It was <laughs> a very, very much a shock to the system. And that, yeah, that first year, I remember just finding it like, wow, this is a much tougher than I expected it to be. But again, getting through that first year, going into the second one, I felt in a much stronger position. I'm prepared, prepared for what was about to come. Yeah. When obviously you'd had all you'd had a lot of experiences with Renos and stuff already, and you'd had GB stuff, but who was your first like, oh, that guy experience when you were playing in the Italian league? Did you have a game that you were like, oh, that's you said Bradness or yeah. whatever, but or did someone put 40 on you at one point in the league and you were like, oh, probably, <laughs> but no, I remember, I remember, I think if I think back to try and it was probably Matteo just because of how solid he was and how he just, doesn't matter what you did, he just got to where he wanted to be and he just punished you. Like any error, he just punished you and you're just like, oh, wow, there's like another level to this Yeah, that he's exposing right now. It, is all of this a dig at Lee who's sitting behind you? <laughs> <laughs> let's not make this into... <laughs> let's, not, let's not reference him every three minutes. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah. Was it, is, it is funny though. I had the same um, same Cavagnini thing where I think when you watch him on video, it's kind of like oh, this guy just kind of chugs along and he gets sixteen to twenty points a game, and then you play against him in person and you're like, oh, this guy would get fifty eight points a game. He gets sixteen to twenty because everyone sells out to stop him on more or less every possession. Yeah, you have like, to. You have no choice. Yeah, and it's a thing of like he'll get sixteen no matter what. Yeah, like the thing of like you could put like bollards in the spots he wants to get to on the floor, and he's like, "No, it's fine. I'll still get oh, it." Cool piece. screens. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember playing against Padover, though. Hey, well, yeah, I was just going to say, you guys, you must have felt more um, confident going into your second season when we showed up at your place. 
and rapid, <laughs> rapidly got run out by 40-odd in whatever first game of the season, I think. Was it? I, I can't remember when it was. All I remember from that game is going in at halftime and our coach being like, there's only one difference going on here, guys. They're playing basketball and we're not. So <laughs> not good coaching. <laughs> good coaching. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was um obviously your guys' second year. You I think John left at that point, was that right? And you stepped up and rolled a little bit. You guys still had most of the same nucleus. You're pretty tough group but Cantu just continued to get stronger seemingly every every off season that went by so was that kind of what led to did you get to the point where you felt like the San Stefano experiment had gone as far as it could go or did you always just kind of have it in the plan that this was the stepping stone onto the next thing um not really it was kind of on the side of San Stefano again, they they kind of understood who they were to a degree and they kind of had to break the team up a little bit. So I think most of us pretty much left at that time. So me and well, me and Lee, we were both like, okay, putting our names out there a little bit, trying, okay, where can we go? And we, we didn't really have the intention of leaving Italy. But then it was Harry Brown and Wayne Baldwin who were at Amiab and they, re- they reached out and they basically sold on the vision of what Amiab wanted to be. Well, um, I, bet, I bet you said, well, you need to sell me no f- further than the prospect of teaming up with Wayne Boardman. Presumably that was how that conversation went. <laughs> oh wow! Wayne, Wayne said, "Come." We said, "Yes." If, yeah. If anyone, if anyone had if anyone had Wayne Boardman on the bench, and it's bingo. Congratulations! <laughs> but yeah, he doesn't get many mentions. Uh, shout out to Wayne. Yeah. But <laughs> but yeah. So just before we move on to Amiab, yeah. Like, can you pick any like specific high points of your time in Santa Stefano? Like, any games or? I think it was that that last um, playoff series that we had, <clears throat> and it, we we finished fourth in the league. I'm gonna think I can't quite remember, but it was against Cantu anyway. And playing in their venue in a playoffs was just an extraordinary experience. Their crowd that they had yeah. was special. It's the first time me being as like in an important role for a team going to a venue like that and playing against that crowd was such a great experience. And it was, and yeah, that that's one of my fondest memories uh, of being in Italy for them two years, that crowd in Cantu and them games, they, they were really exciting and really good. Sure. Their crowd's still mental, even to this day, even as the, I think it's fair to say the Italian league's not quite as fierce as it was. And Cantu are maybe not as, as stacked as they once were, but, their crowds kind of never never left them. I don't know what their secret is, but yeah, they're one of like five clubs in Europe that get people to come to games and care, even if they're not related or married to somebody <laughs> playing, which is impressive. Like anyone who like Bilbao manages to do it. There's a handful of other clubs, but it's like, how do you get people into this? I don't think people or teams really understand the amount of work you have to do to keep our sport relevant. Yeah, because it's very easy to forget if you don't have a family member or you're not, it's not deeply in your heart like most sports. 
you have to continuously every you might have a good crowd one week doesn't mean they're going to come the next week you have to continuously push them push it out there and get remind people that this sport is happening okay shall we move on to albacete you mentioned it a second ago there kyle uh, about kind of getting in touch with harry and wayne and those guys at the point where you jumped to albacete from san stefano was there any path not taken that you look at now and obviously you probably don't do a whole lot of looking back and re- regretting given how successful your amiab years have been but was there another option on the table that you look at and think i wonder what could have happened if um not really because i really like the story that has happened now over the last eight years i, I like the fact that we took a little bit of a risk going to a team that no one had ever heard of um had not made any top four ever in the top division like always a team that goes up and down and it was a risk and i know a lot of people at the beginning was a bit like that's a bit of a stupid move and all that and it could have <laughs> it could have worked out that way but now we can sit back and say it wasn't yeah it worked out luckily for us and i wouldn't change it at all yeah, obviously, like, just off-court as well. Like, I think you've done all right moving to Albacete in terms of being off-court. But was there, were you ever like, oh, man, should I be looking for a team that's already, like, Champions Cup and top whatever in leagues? Like, just in terms of moving on, moving your life to somewhere that could have potentially gone wrong? Is that, like, was it scary? Yeah, but I think at that time, I wasn't necessarily looking at, like, Champions Cup and I thought that was too far away sure I was still at a stage where I was just trying to develop and try and still learn the game I didn't feel like I was anywhere near being ready to go to a team and be able to actually productively help it was more just where can I go and where can I play to be able to develop moving forward and hopefully the team can come and develop at the same time. Yeah. And I guess the thing as well is like, even you, you guys at a young age, there was probably a thing of, uh, if I go there, Lee goes there and the people who are already there, were going to be like fine at the beginning. Like, it's not like you're going to, you're going to go somewhere that you're worried about going down. Cause like no. having a certain amount of players go there, you're, you're safe. Like, yeah. Like the, I mean, the, I mean, the aspirations of us going there, was okay let's make top four so that we can make final four we can have a go at that stage but yeah. I think we at the beginning I think I think we um, exceeded expectations to be honest because pretty much from when we we got there we made every final we could which I think was at the beginning I mean I, they were like what the hell's going on here what, what's this well, this yeah. is extremely new to us what what do we do yeah but it yeah we 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 managed to have success quite quickly, but it did help with the players that we had. Like Amiab did a very good job recruiting at that stage. Sorry, it the team we had was it was strong. So it yeah. Sure. Uh, you probably got in there a couple of years as well before Spain really started to ramp up as being the dominant league in Europe, right? Because I think at the time you guys came in, Illunion as they have been, was kind of top of the league year after year. And I think Vidalid had been one of their main challenges, but were kind of, Vidalid were on the dive a little bit and that void was looking to be filled. Um, but you guys came in 
And like you say, you were pretty successful pretty quickly, but I think you then saw that it's occasionally more difficult to kind of stay within the top, you know, whatever it be, top four, than it is to crack it year one. And, you know, a lot of teams will crack it for a year and then not make it again. And you guys managed to stave that off through, you know, whatever kind of club development you think fed into that. But you you kind of developed your own game, as you mentioned, even with a massive rotating cast of teammates, you guys have had too many, too many big names in to list. Um, but how did you kind of go about developing yourself even as the team changed year after year? Um, it kind of just, to be honest, I learned a lot, like a lot of the players that we had, it kind of just, we fit roles. So we never really clashed that much. So it made it easier for me. I, like people would let me do me, let Lee be Lee. Um, what do we have at that time? We had yeah, Roberto, we had <laughs> Mena who were again, Mena just wanted to go and score. He would just go and be a big four, go and score, go and take a lot of that burden away. So then I, would, I wouldn't necessarily have any scoring pressure at that time. Uh, we even had uh, Mackie, sure, um, sure. who at the end of his career, so he, he was kind of like good timing for that. So we could be there as the experience and the, the person that would come and put it his arm around you to say like it's everything's okay it's fine and give some really sound advice and um yeah it the t yeah the team we had definitely aided the development 100 no one ever it, we was not trying to tread on each other's toes we kind of had the same common goal and let's try and do this together sure and stability and having the same sort of stuff is better for players developing or whether having different environments different people to learn off would make it easier or better or worse but i kind of also depends on who's there i guess like having different looks and different people to learn off is all right as long as they're sound and not just trying to burn things from <laughs> burn things to the ground i guess but you kind of got lucky in in some of the guys who came in and out but i guess you've seen a lot in eight years like yeah that's the main thing it, it, a lot of luck a lot of luck has been involved in that time but it's um I think when we just we say we went through a lot of players, we did have a lot of players. And again, it was all, every year was a development. Every year was, every, someone added something that we were maybe missing. And whether that's with, I don't know, like for example, when we bought Dan in, Dan was the perfect person to bring in at that time that okay. could help us make another jump. Dan became, oh, Stan Hycock. He had a pretty big name in Spain yes. for his career that he had. Yeah, so that gave us a little bit more legitimacy, and then we down. Then you bring in Gaz, which was five years ago now, and again that bring. Okay, we're serious now. People are now really scared of us. Yeah. So it 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 really it grew very nicely. I think at the right pace. I think if you just signed five huge names at the same time, it could have just been a disaster. Yeah, yeah. I think in the beginning, people kind of looked at you guys as like sort of annoying outsider like did it take a while for people to actually respect you or did the fact that you guys had like already reputations individually as players kind of sort that out i think within spain weirdly we timed it like mark referenced earlier we went at a time when the league wasn't what it is now mm -hmm. and i think that works really well for us because 
we were like really loved because we were like fresh English players coming into the league to make it a bit stronger and all that. And it was like, oh, this is nice. This is good. Another team that can maybe go and yeah. go against Delunia. Yeah, and, people were probably sick of them at that point. So you guys were the, like the, yeah. the plucky underdog sticking it exactly. to the big I, bad Madrid I know team. Pretty much every time we'd go against them, everyone would be hoping. <laughs> It, we, we could never hit break, uh, break that brick wall, but everyone was hoping that we'd be able to get them. Yeah. So I think we managed to time it very nicely with being quite liked within yeah. that. Sure. Yeah, because sure. there's a lot of people in and around Spain who even now, like you see it in other sports, there's like an anti-Madrid mm-hmm. thing a little bit. Like there's a lot of, especially like the autonomous regions that don't get don't consider themselves that Spanish. But even there's just a thing in general where it's like, People hate seeing Real Madrid win everything. People kind of had that about El Union as well. So I'm sure you guys got a bit of a boost from that. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. And did you kind of on that trajectory, Carl, you mentioned obviously Dan came in and then maybe Gaz coming in was the first, was the kind of final brick in, you know, this team's legit now. They're not an up and comer anymore. Was there a point in kind of anywhere around that time span where Spain started getting increasingly stacked? Did you guys look around and were like, we literally can't improve fast enough to keep clear of the rest of the field? Because obviously you guys have topped the league this year and um, as you mentioned, you won Champions Cup and whatever, but the Spanish League, even with the team you guys had, the Spanish League literally came down to the final day to decide the winner. So has there been a moment where you've felt the pressure of the league catching up to you guys, or at least enough that you never pulled away comfortably? So probably the the year where we lost John Hernandez and Luis Christian, because John went to Bilbao, Luis went to Malo. We kind of, we didn't really have that many players. <clears throat> but then... So we were kind of thinking, right, this is going to be tough now. Like, how how are we going to compete with Like, we still think we're very good, but we have no depth. But by an absolute miracle, and I think the luckiest signing in in Spain the last 10 years, Alejandro Farfuela became available. Never heard of him. (laughs) So, like... See that? Pablo's brother. So, yeah, like that was probably uh, the one moment where we're going, ah, we're going to drop off a little bit here because now Madiba are really strong. Um, Bill Barrow are really strong. And we're like, ah, we might, this might be a down year. But then when Alejandro came about, that was just like, a, this could not have felt any better for us. A yeah. perfect player that we needed to fit how we play. Yeah. And then that just instantly then expectations are oh, you need to go and win again now then yeah yeah <laughs> you're almost like god i wanted a break from people looking at us but you guys have kind of i think calling these things falling into your lap is underdoing the work that goes on behind the scenes to get players to teams and make sure you're convincing people on the project running and making sure players are looked after and this that and the other obviously but like you guys having alejandro kind of show up at the right time and then Philipski the year after like that's two big like good additions for kind of not even retooling but kind of sort of adjusting on the fly like that's that's massive to have those two guys sort of pop up but obviously you still need to go and get them you still need to talk to them because I'm sure Alejandro becomes available Philipski become available and they have if there's 12 teams in the league they have 11 messages like but yeah 
Absolutely. And the, the one huge advantage that we had was my partner and Ali's partner, best friends. So the, <laughs> the idea that them two could play together, which they all they wanted to do for many years, that massively played into our favour. So I will take all the credit. Yes, there that. you go. <laughs> like, there is a thing of like being able to do that and you guys going from that the club and you guys being a massive part of it deserve the credit for turning it in eight years into a club that can be like, hey, one of the best players in the world in your position, do you want to come over here? Like, you know what I mean? That, and that is where I'm ever at now. They are, there's a point where I think with some teams that if they message you and Elunian have that, Landil have that, Cantu have that, if they, you, you take it seriously. Yeah. You, have, you, you seriously consider it. And Amiat wasn't there, but I do believe now it's now a club where if they contact you, you, you really have to consider about going because yeah. they can offer you the, the highest level basketball yeah. that is around now, clear of winning the Champions Cup. So it's like it's it's now a destination to be at. And I'm personally I'm quite proud of to leave the club in that way. And like it'd be I want, wish them all the success in the world until they play against me again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for three hundred and sixty-three days of the year. Yeah. But yeah. Um yeah, and it's obviously it kind of feeds into like the environment off court as well. Like that's a club that has a great reputation for looking after people. Going back to what we said about younger guys going abroad, like that being a club that people are not worried about going to because they're worried about like getting paid on time of this, that, and the other. Like that stuff, I think, is really important. And you guys all deserve a lot of credit for legitimizing a place to the point that it's one of the premier clubs in in Europe. Uh, um, absolutely, like in. And when it comes to pay, Amiab has never been an issue for any player. But there's obviously things along the way that all teams with no experience, they try and do various things. But over the years, the players who have experience, so the players who have been at Amiab and not there anymore, they also helped Amiab develop. The players that are still there now have helped Amiab develop. And not, no team's perfect. No team's going to get it right all the time. But I, I can say that they will get it right most of the time. Yeah. Sure. So obviously they kind of throughout your time there, you were saying like they developed and everyone was feeding in that and they learned sort of along the way. But why was year eight, the year it all clicked for the club and for you, I would say like. Yeah, we've, we've got this far into the podcast and we've not said that we're interviewing you off the back of unquestionably your best individual season you've had in as long as you've been playing. So we should throw that in there at some point. That. Would you agree? Uh, no, it was. It was. It, it was the year that I think my brain finally clicked. And as stupid as it sounds, I became a little bit more selfish. I think previously before I'd be like, oh, but that's that's that, that's Lee. That, that, that's Gaz. That's Dan Highcock. That's... Sure. Uh, where this year I was like, no. I'm Kyle Marsh. <laughs> yeah, like... I can play as well. <laughs> sure, yeah. So yeah, it just, goes in. Yeah. Just more of just a belief within myself, I think, and just went for it. Didn't fear about the consequences. Sure. And if you miss a shot, so what? Yeah. Move on to the next one. If you make a bad pass, so what? There's another one. I think that was the biggest, it was the mental side. It wasn't nothing like in terms of um, skill-wise. It was, everything's exactly the same as it was. It's just more, you can do this. Sure. You, just, just on that note, before we crack on, when you mentioned that kind of 
your mentality given that you know you're a top pick a number shooter in the world however anyone would list you what's it like for you when you see people who are decidedly worse shooters than you are who have absolutely none of those confidence or mentality issues that you just mentioned do you not look at them and be like man if only i could let it go with reckless abandon like this guy (laughs) i say i'll rate it i'll rate it (laughs) Say to them, I love it. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, don't change. Basket's always open. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But um, yeah, how, here, here's an interesting one. How much do you think you clicking and putting stuff together had to like had to do with, or how much do you think the club clicking and putting it all together to the point of winning Champions Cup had to do with you taking that step? Um. I think it helped. It gave more balance to everything. I think the fact that someone like me as a two-pointer can attract so much attention and eyes looking at me, which allows other people within their positions who are also great historic players, like Gaz, Lee, Alejandro, Filipski, that they actually now can have got a little bit of space that they maybe didn't have the year before, two years before. It, It Definitely helped, I would yeah. say, open the floor up and just made us really balanced. You, you didn't really know how we were going to attack or who was it going to be today. You didn't really know. Yeah, there's a pick your poison thing, but it's like, hey, this is all very poisonous. We're going to have to just like pray a little bit here. But yeah, I think that's something that people who play realize like shooting is making shots and shooting is also getting your teammate an extra half a second on a catch and shoot or it's getting Lee a foot more of space inside as much as it is two points on the board isn't it like yeah exactly there's no benefit to take I don't know 15 frees a game because all right you make a few but has it really has anyone else got anything from that like you might take two or three but now someone else has now got four or five open layups because they're the threat of you taking a free. Sure. We'll, we'll note that quote down for the first Malaga say, game of the season when you get 15 shots up. 15 <laughs> In 12 minutes. I'm going to say, we'll, we'll run that sound back. So on that note, uh, you've kind of touched on it early on in the podcast, but if there's anything more you want to get into it, I guess the question we give to everyone who's moving clubs is why this team and why now? You mentioned there's some external to basketball factors in this one. So feel free to tell us to stay out of your personal life. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It, it The now is essentially that uh, my little boy is turning three in August and he's starting school in September. And Malaga just happens to be the place where my partner is from. So we made the decision to buy a house in Malaga and start Nico in his school which conveniently for us is literally opposite. So we don't oh. even, we can wake up as late as possible. And <laughs> took him across the road. <laughs> well, uh, was that so, like a conversation that you, you and Almu had to have? You were like, look, we've got offers from these 11 clubs. However, if we go to Malaga, we can wake up really late. <laughs> it was the key factor. <laughs> Alarm for 9.50. <laughs> so, so yeah, so that, that was my, our main driving force of why Malaga. And to be honest, I think it's going to be a, it's a really good place for us So in the basketball. So I think it's going to work out really well. Sure. Is it nice to be able to make 
basketball decision based on non-basketball factors. I don't mean in terms of like being Kyle Marsh, so kind of being able to be like, I have options, but like, was it nice to make a decision for you and the two other people you care about most rather than rather than I'm going to get the most minutes and shots in game up or yeah and I think this kind of stems back to um, choosing not to go to Tokyo that was a really big one where to be able to make that choice based on the fact that I was not comfortable with leaving um, Nico for near enough three months with COVID going on in the world. That for me personally was a real big moment of like, actually, this is what's more important. So the fact where, again, another situation comes here and the choice is for him, it just makes, for me, basketball becomes easier at that point. And it, any decisions even easier because, okay, why would I do this? If, okay, Nico, that's the reason. Yeah. So basketball can be secondary and I'm like, again, feel lucky the fact that Malaga just happens to be a decent team with a good um, future and we can go and play for them. They, they want us as well. Yeah, man. So does it feel you talked about them having a good future? Does it feel like you're kind of not repeating the Amiab thing necessarily, but like, does it feel like you're going back to an earlier point in the process in a team and is that is that strange is that annoying or is that exciting it it does feel similar but the only difference is they have a lot more history they have a lot more about and they have a lot more experience and they've already got a very good team like last year they were so competitive they pushed all of the top teams they beat Illunion early on in the year and I know they were very very happy with the year that they had and they were happy to basically roll with the exact same team, maybe make a couple of adjustments. And um, hopefully, just by adding me and Armour, we can we can make a nice little jump up. I personally was in the final four, would be nice, in the top four, sorry. Oh, nice. But yeah. we can see. We'll see how it goes. Heard it here first. So do, do you worry on that note when... because? You say about feeling like you're going a little bit earlier in the process. You obviously landed with Amiab and helped legitimize them. Do you worry this is going to become your legacy now? It's like, hey, if you've got a team that's kind of up and coming, they'll just sign Kyle and he'll take them to the promised land. You're going to be like <laughs> Chris Paul with every young team he goes to now. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. I don't plan on moving again. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, gonna, come on, Nico. We're not going to that school anymore. We've got another team that needs me to show them the way. My alarm can be five two, not ten two. Let's <laughs> get it going. I wonder where wheelchair basketball Oklahoma City is because, like, <laughs> they sent that guy to like the underworld and he made them a playoff team. <laughs> they tried to tank and he was like, "Nah, man, I'm not taking it easy." Everyone else would have just taken a year off. Like Al Horford was like, "Don't play me. It's all good." And he was like, "No, I want 35 minutes a game and we're gonna win." But yeah, sorry. There's that's, our that's great. NBA per month. Great segment <laughs> idea, actually mapping the various European teams to the uh, what NBA team equivalent now. Yeah, to be like, okay, Cleveland, where's the worst place in Europe? <laughs> I'm joking. Sorry, Ayaka. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, I guess we've met. You've mentioned the team briefly, Kyle, and how they were going. They were happy to just run back what they had. I think they had a little bit of an overachieving 
year last year and they're obviously slotting you into their squad as an upgrade so how do you kind of look at what you saw from them last year and and see yourself fitting in with with what they've got and do you think it's much of an adjustment for you much of an adjustment for them or do you just roll the ball out and play um for me when you watch them and even when I've spoken to some of the players during last season and moving to now the one thing that they really struggled with was just that little bit of experience. They're a very young core um, team. And obviously when you're starting to get into tense moments in the games or just that little bit of experience as someone who say, okay, just calm it down a little bit and um, let's do this instead of just playing 100 miles an hour and hope for the best. So the main, the main thing that I can offer is just a little bit of experience. And it might not even be on the court it can just be off the court definitely yeah a lot lot of young guys there i think they a lot of that battle is like you say europe is about you know winning on saturday but there's a lot of prep and you know concentration stuff that goes in during the week that i think a lot of the young guys maybe underestimate when it's their first year or two out there so you're going to be the one checking in on people's bedtimes and other such stuff, right? <laughs> oh God, a couple of young guys there that you wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that upon you. Like, <laughs> how much of moving to a new team? I always find this interesting. How much of moving to a new team is okay? Here's what I can do for you versus kind of fitting in. Basically, like how much? Like where's the balance there, and how do you find it? Is it? talking to a coach or it's Addy like is it talking to Addy or is it is is preseason really important for that sort of stuff yeah I think like we're speaking to Addy one of my first questions okay what do you what do you vision what Mm -hmm. do you want and we sit down and have that conversation and I think it's best at the very beginning we be clear what what um, is expected of the player or vice versa and just sit down and honest and okay your role is to be this in this team can you do it and that's how you got to before you sign. and I think me personally going there it's just it I mean it works quite well the fit I think will be decent the one thing that we are going to struggle with is in Spain next year that um, you have to have one Spanish player on the court so Ooh, is that a rule now I don't think we have well I don't think apps on that at least um, so that's going to affect a lot of teams. Just obviously, there's a lot of, um, I would say he's got a lot of Spanish players and Illunian, but apart from that, oh, Bill Bell, we're all right, yeah, though, Bill yeah. Bell, you're good. Um, a lot of other teams are, are struggling, so it's it's going to affect the league a little bit and it's going to affect playing styles or playing minutes for people. And it's just as long as everyone is aware of the situation and shouldn't cause any issues internally within teams. Cool. We're going to have a podcast where we talk about whether these rules are helpful or not, but yeah. that's not today because I, we don't I also don't, I don't mean to sow seeds of doubt here, but Kyle, if I'm not mistaken, you left Italy the year after the Italian rule came in and shortly before the two Italian rule came in. So if this season doesn't go well, is this going to be you like, right, I'm off to Germany? Yeah, I did. Never country, no. All the money is in France? No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Right, so you mentioned it earlier, your goals for the coming season. You said top four? What about the Cup? Well, it really depends on the draw, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's the problem with the Cup. Like, I believe this year Malaga 
they had the most unlucky draw by drawing us first. And to be honest, they really affected our weekend because they pushed us right to the end. And they were really on it in that quarterfinal. So, I mean, if, if they got a different draw that day, they maybe could have made a semi, well, I mean, which would have been a, yeah. a good achievement for them. But yeah, like the, the cup is such a, who's good on that weekend? Has anyone got any injuries coming in? So there's so much unpredictability with the Copa del Rey. Yeah, and in terms of the league, I mean, I would like a final four. If I keep saying final four, final four doesn't exist anymore. But it might do. Whatever. Uh, yeah, top four. That I think would be for me personally. I think that's where um, would be a good spot as like a first year for me personally. I, I know for them it's going to be more, but I think it'd be a good achievement. Yeah, I think I think that fourth spot is relatively wide open. I think. If you were to push it right now, it would be kind of a loony on Amiab, Bilbao in the top three spots, maybe, and then kind of Malaga battling with, you know, Vidalid and whatever Gran Canaria throw out there. But I think that battle for the fourth spot will be an interesting one because it's a little bit of a rejig from the past couple of years, I would say. Keep an eye on Mercia. <laughs> oh, yeah, Mercia. And Burgos. Let's not forget Burgos. <laughs> You're such a Burgos traitor. <laughs> You're going to have to pick a new team next year, man. Yeah, no, it's going to be awful. Um, right, should we do questions? <laughs> yes, all right. Uh, so, yeah, once again, thanks for sending in questions. Makes our lives easier and actually gets us to ask the questions you want answered rather than us just talking to our friends about the stuff that we like. So, <laughs> first question that came in, uh, I don't have the names in front of me, so if this sounds like something you wrote, thanks, <laughs> thanks for writing it in. Kyle, aside from your shooting, what would you say is your most valuable skill on court? Uh, it's it's quite an unmeasurable skill set. I, mean, I think I know the game pretty well. I think when you're someone with a disability like me, um, physically quite limited, we've been able to sort of play with the ball or being able to move the chair. So I think I have to do a lot of things. And again, this goes back to what I referenced with Matt Byrne earlier a lot of stuff that he would say would, from his head, what how he would play the game. And I think I can now read the game pretty well and see where advantages or disadvantages might be and uh, try and exploit them as much as possible. So I think it's very unmeasurable, but I do feel I know the game pretty well. Yeah, cool. Definitely agree. Um, this is from Neil Pratt, who is on our side on this one. He says, Kyle, who do you have to kidnap to win an MVP? Uh, I don't know. Was there even an MVP of the Champions Cup this year? Should have been. Uh, I don't think there was, no. No, they just did but, the All-Stars. Yeah, but it's all right because the All-Stars are just 19 points. Um, I think it was like, <laughs> you had a really, really good way to get this down to like 16 and a half by putting the players. And this is not a knock on anyone who got there. Like there's always seven, eight, nine guys that could make one, but we were like, come on, man. Also, if you actually haven't answered it, who you need to kidnap to get an MVP, we couldn't possibly say the name. <laughs> but yeah, Imagine being like, it's this person. But yeah, I wouldn't know who it is because I don't know who decides these things, but yeah. If anyone knows his address, send it in. Yeah, send it in. <laughs> But like old school, like ransom notes, they like cut out letters from magazines and stick them to a page. But yeah, right. Um, when was the last time you played for a team without Lee on the roster? Uh, 
I worked this out in my head earlier. I might be wrong, but I think I've got an answer. You can go first, Carl. Well, I think you'd have to go before, obviously, well, obviously before Santa Stefano. I guess the year before. Yeah, that was what I had. I think pre 2012 year, you were still with Rhinos and Lee was with Steelers. That was what I landed on. Yeah, 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 that'd be right. Nice. So, Mark knowing the answer to this ago. stuff is, is, is always funny. Well, we ask people trivia questions and they're like, uh, I don't know. And Mark's like, I do. Apart from, <laughs> yeah. apart from when Brian Bell could list all the all the games that he's lost in his entire USA career. <laughs> it's like, hey, come on, man. Oh, man. Um, yeah. It's like three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mark, can I ask my two stupid questions before we ask the last one? You can. I would hate to stop you. Cool. All right. So there's one very good question and one very stupid one. Would you like the good one or the stupid one first? Oh, uh, sorry. Give me the stupid one. Okay. Uh, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen on a basketball court? Oh, there's many. <laughs> we play. <laughs> so much of it's like this guy was so disabled, but yeah. X. But yeah. yeah what I, have you I, got? I can't remember what the player's name was, but I remember it being like junior level, GB junior level. And it was the person scoring in the wrong basket, but <laughs> intentionally. Like, he just, this is where I'm going. I'm going to go and score. But like, no, mate, we're going the other way. But I think that's probably the stupidest <laughs> thing. Oh, God. Have you ever seen the video of someone scoring in their own basket and then the other team taking it and inbounding it from the baseline? Also, I've been so confused. <laughs> Hilarious. Like, someone be like, all right, I guess we've just changed ends then. Um, okay. And the, the good question is what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh wow! Oh, oh uh, what, bit of a change of pace there. I nearly yeah. swore. Uh, <laughs> You're asking a person who's got a terrible memory. <laughs> Was it write this down? You've got a terrible memory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really difficult, James. Oh, no problem. We used to ask people that, and they'd give us something profound, and then we'd ask them what's the worst piece of advice they've ever been given. <laughs> but no one ever give us anything good, so. Okay, give us a good piece of advice that someone's given you previously. A good piece of advice someone's given recently. Um, don't let Lee sit in the room on a podcast. Oh, I'm just thinking we should have given Lee access to this Google Doc so he could have written notes to us. That would have been unbelievable. Um, well, we're going to do that at some point when he's not in the room. Be like, Lee, we're recording a podcast with this person. Type stuff in. If you need but yeah. No, I think to answer that seriously, it's probably just in terms of like, don't care about the what could go wrong. It doesn't matter. It's just basketball at the end of the day. It's just nice. put a put a ball in the hole. It it's not that important in life. Sure. Um, yeah. Entirely fair. Nice one. And yeah. last thing before we let you out of here, Kyle. So we do a regular segment on bench units, which is called the bench units belt, which is to be awarded to whoever we feel like for no strict criteria and it represents not a lot other than how important we think it is. <laughs> we were giving it out week by week. Uh, you are a past winner yourself. You might not know because you don't have any social media and that's where we announce it. But We used to not give it to you because we like we give it to people so we can tag them so they share it so people <laughs> see our stuff. Then we were like, hey, I think if you have 37 in a game, you're probably going to get it. <laughs> so as there's no games on at the moment, we're just giving our guests the chance to award the bench units belt to whoever they see fit for whatever reason they see fit. 
So the floor goes. Them on Instagram and get followers. <laughs> so yeah, someone with Instagram, please. No joke. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be basketball related then. Whatever you want. Could be Stone Cold Steve Austin if you feel like it. Yeah. Well, that'd be a great one. So uh, this may be on a weird way, but I'm, I want to give it to Harry Brown because he's saving my life over this summer, being back at G camps, picking me up and dropping me off wherever I need to be. So he's my little hero for this summer. All right. Awesome. Harry Brown, belt winner, taxi man extraordinaire. <laughs> That's the first one he's had as well. Fair. Awesome. Cool. Keeping it in the Amiab family. Yeah, for the short term. He said, what family? <laughs> Enemies. There's the, they're, they're the ops. Yeah. Right. Cool. So that's the end of the podcast. So thanks very much, Kyle. You're the man. Thanks yeah. for being here. Thanks uh, for joining us, man. And best of luck in Malaga next season. Can't wait to watch you guys. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, both of you. No problem for being here. We'll leave you alone. No. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, like, subscribe, do all that stuff. If you yeah. feel like it, don't if you don't. Um, if you don't have anything nice to say about us, definitely keep it quiet. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Now, James, get out of Kyle's hotel room. No, Lee, anything else? No, I'm not allowed to talk. Cool, Lee had his one. All right, cheers, guys. See you later. <laughs>